And welcome to the 348th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's bought out by bots each and every week. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, Derek here. Great to be back again for another week of a fantastic conversation. As always, we have a lot going on. Can't wait to dive in. But before we do, I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on our agenda this week? Well, James, we have our usual four segments again this week. First off, we're going to kick things off with the MTGO metagame weekend review after that we'll move on to segment two where we'll talk about the top movers of the week and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains next we'll move on to segment three our cards to watch where you and i share key insights at which cards we have our eyes on at the moment and finally we're going to wrap things up with segment four our topics of the week which this week are primarily the brothers war reveals which there are a large number of them and of course the magic 30 advent calendar which sold out very quickly and we've talked extensively about on this podcast so with that out of the way why don't we jump into the mtgo metagame weekend review modern challenge from this past saturday october 29th is our first target here we've got amulet titan taking the whole thing we've got blue red murktide in second and fourth hammer time in third and black red scam in eighth Probably the most interesting decks here are the four-color Omnath variants, one with Kahira as the companion and the other with Karuga. Uh, the Kahira deck was running three times Veil of Summer and two Hallowed Moonlight in the sideboard, presumably against decks like Creativity. And then we've got three Touch the Spirit Realm again showing up in that four-color Omnath list with Karuga. Yep, we're still seeing companions. They banned several of them, and we have... Three represented here. Uh, the seventh place deck also has Gigantha in it. Uh, so you know, I think that was my big takeaway is that companions aren't going anywhere. They're sticking around. They're making the top eight. And uh, they're going to be here for a long while until they ban the mechanic altogether. So we talked about foil Karugas when they were $5 last week in the Discord and I think on the cast as well. And it looks like copies are indeed selling at a trickle uh, in the mid-teens couple uh 16 15 so very curious to see whether people will bite on those at the elevated prime I mean, it's not even that expensive compared to say what foil extent are yorians and luris will going going for at their heights but i guess kahira is worth a look as well is that already in the same boat let's see kahira the orphan guard foil extended art from ikoria foils are yeah about the same so sitting around 17 dollars or so of course, these moved earlier due to blue-white control running them for the most part in modern. And if anything, they've been on a, a bit of a slide from a mid-30s price point last January. 
Yeah, Kahira, I feel like, is the less impressive of any of the three that we talked about. I mean, it's fine. It's an extra card. It pitches to Solitude. Um, so it does some... It does help. But the others are... I have a higher upside. Karuga, I mean, if you're playing in a deck that can run it and can take advantage, being able to drop that late in the game and get a bunch of additional cards is fantastic. It brings that long game that Yurion similarly did. Um, obviously, the deck building restriction is a lot more restrictive, which is why it hasn't really seen a lot of play until now. And Gigantha, you know, that that's, I feel like, it's okay. It's more similar to Kahira. I would imagine uh, Gigantha is pretty cheap. I didn't look at that one. Let's see. Extended arts of that are, I don't know, that's 35. So all of these are pretty expensive. Um, but yeah, I could see the Karuga, if it continues to do well and post up in the top eight, matching the others a little bit higher, around 30. I think people have to get the mental heads wrapped around that this card is actually worthwhile, that it's good, that it's going to stick around, which will take a few weeks or months uh, to set in. Pretty much all of these were sub $5 when people were cracking Japanese Ikoria uh, collector booster boxes and English booster boxes. So I'm fairly convinced that those openings, when purchased at Lowe's, because I think they, those collector booster boxes got down to about 130 140 at one point, about a year out, were very good buys, given that you're pulling out multiple uh, borderless triumphs, foil borderless triumphs. You've got multiple companions that have made money out of those boxes, and there's stuff like Shark Typhoon, Shark Typhoon tokens, all sorts of goodies. Yep, Godzilla and, uh, cards. Looking at Streets of New Capenna collector boosters, I mean, I think we're seeing similar. It's down to 126. Um, you know, with with the triumphs, not triumphs in there, that's kind of an anchor of value. I would imagine those will see a rebound at some point. It's just a matter of how long it will take, considering the glut of supply at the moment. I think the sets are going to play out very similarly to one another, so yeah. I would imagine we'll see those SNC CBs on sale for the better part of a year, and then in year two, it'll start to accelerate. Uh, seventh place finishes out this top eight, Blue-Red Prowess with Gigantha as, uh, as that third companion. Now, over in Pioneer, things were getting spicy. Blue-Black Control was two i thought yes esper control i guess it was an eighth blue black control took the whole thing down in first and then also in fifth uh and then there was an esper control variant in eighth um this first place list had a jace friends prodigy card we haven't seen talk you know in competitive circles for a while and an urtai one of my favorite commanders as of late and then was running a suite of planeswalkers including Narset uh, Parter of Veils, Soren the Mirthless from the Innistrad sets last fall, and then Ashiok, the five-mana Ashiok from Theros Beyond Death. Um, so that's a little spicy. And then the blue-black control list in fifth had three Micromancers to go get all their one-drop instants. Um, yeah, I don't like these decks. I don't know about you. I The Planeswalkers I love, The especially Ashiok always has impressed me. Soren pretty decent but um seeing you know some of these like the urtai it seems like a terrible card doesn't it <laughs> i'm looking i'm looking at it i mean it's flexible it's but... it's the flexibility it's it's a yeah. it's a counter anything counter spell activated ability triggered ability destroy a creature destroy a planeswalker yes they get to draw a card but you get to make sure whatever needs to happen right now happens and that's important. In Commander, it's 
even sillier because you get to do things like bounce it every turn or make copies of it and all sorts of craziness ensues. But I'm not at all surprised to see that in a control deck because it gives them the the catch-all answer to pretty much anything. So there's a lot of removal in these blue-black suites. Uh, between Fatal Push, you have Urtai doing some of that. You have um, the main deck Extinction Event, which I think is a nod to... Uh, both kind of red-white shells and mono-green shells. Uh, and then a lot of the Planeswalkers also can can do some of that damage. So it feels like these decks are just good stuff, right, with a bunch of counters. And I don't think it really would have mattered what the good stuff were as long as the counter suite and draw suite were pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, um, I when I think good stuff, I think mid-range value creatures. This is just run-in-the-mill control strategy where you're going to have a mix of answers to, to make sure you can answer all relevant threats yeah micromancer is interesting it's with it not having flash i'd be curious to watch how that plays out if that's like a wait till i assume you're not tapping out to play it i would think with all these counters so maybe you're waiting till you're at like six mana playing it getting your whatever you need the rona or fatal push or wash away i would imagine that it often goes and gets like cling to dust or the vortex or fatal push or march of wretched sorrow you know probably doesn't work it's a a two for one that that gives you a body that in in a blue black like in a control shell you just need a threat you run the you you weather the storm of the aggro or mid-range game you handle all their problems they're left drawing off the top. You've got a card draw spell left or in the yard. You load back up. You present your threat, and now you can defend it, and they have to de- they have to try to regain control of the game by beating you in a top-deck war that they're not set up to win. Right. So the question, though, is, is there a better option? And to me, playing less of something like a four-drop that you have to wait to play late or play early and tap out, I'd rather play four Shark Typhoon, personally, and just... I mean, it's it's a better card. It it does everything you want. It produces the threat. It cycles early, and you don't have to. I mean, yeah, the other one gives you a little bit of flexibility, but yeah, I I I I don't think we'll see a lot of. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we'll see a lot of Micromancer in the future. I think this is a one-off. Well, I mean, with if it was a one, if the deck only showed up once in say the eighth place list or something, that would be one thing. But three out of the top eight is a pretty strong statement so not blue black but micromancer specifically sure well, i mean most multiple of the lists i've seen lately have agreed on this card so i'm curious to see where it will go as well but i won't be surprised to see it stay given its its level of flexibility which i think is really the key feature there um so the there's a mono green list in third and fourth lotus field combo in seventh and then two versions of four color omnath in second and sixth. so we're seeing omnath in modern still almost no matter what they do the deck survives and in pioneer it's there as well in this time it's alongside either three or four copies of kenrith and both with karuga as their companion uh have you i've played fires of invention decks they are very fun um as long as you get going they are very very powerful and honestly all of these cards can get played on their own you don't have to hit fires to 
to be able to do your thing obviously it's better if you do you can then use kendrick ability and and some of these other things but especially with omnath i think it's fine without it um these these are good they're value engines you need to get going i think to to play them um and so i the lack of the really fast decks i think helps this a little bit well what uh, but one of the, the temporary <clears throat> lockdown yeah that's the that's the tech i was looking eyeing up yeah. and 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 you know appreciatively because i run that in my angel esper control deck in historic and it does tons of work when you're facing goblins merfolk elves angels green white angel uh, life gain all of those low slung decks zombies sometimes hammer time variants that are that are historic tuned temporary lockdown comes down and can get rid of uh, artifact ramp early creatures sometimes random treasure tokens that are lying around waiting to do things and just does tons and tons of work on three mana you have other options like bontu's last reckoning i think is a card which is destroy all creatures and you skip your next untap step but temporary lockdown i have found is is your best three mana sweeper in in these color in this color set right and you know you also have ley lines binding in turn two which is hell. So you can Leyline Binding, then Temporary Lockdown. You're getting, even though your everything is converted to mana cost three or more, between that and Bone Crusher Giant, you almost always have, you know, turn one, probably uh, Triome, turn two, play either one of those two, and then turn three, Temporary Lockdown or Fable, and then you're just going off after that. I mean, turn four and beyond, it's hard to beat this type of deck. So Control, I think, is probably maybe the tough matchup here. If they're able to just censor your four or five mana threats, and they're you know just building up their card advantage, um, so it was interesting to see control and um, these type of decks be the top two or top decks in the top eight. I'd be curious to see what it is in future weeks. There is that new red spell that was revealed for Brothers War that I think will overshadow uh temporary lockdown potentially especially in this deck with the heavy red commitment brotherhood's end is a sorcery for one and two red it deals three damage to each creature in each planeswalker or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less yeah so this is basically the i mean they've had a couple different permeations of the three damage to everything uh, I'm not sure those haven't included planeswalkers in the past, correct? Yeah, that's, that is new. That that is yeah. more rare, right? And the artifact part probably not all that important, but you might be able to hit, you know, late game um, some of the other lockdown pieces like the one mana one white uh, Naga two convert amount of cost anything. Well, there uh, there, there may well be a hammer time variant coming out after Brothers mm-hmm. War for Pioneer with all of the various artifacts matter spells. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I, these have play, seen play in lesser forms. This has more flexibility and hits Planeswalkers, which um, this deck does not run any Planeswalkers. Other Fires and Venture Shells do, so I would imagine if they played it, they, they'd kind of work around that. But yeah, I could see that. I could see that seeing play, especially with the amount of green it takes out quite a bit um takes out a lot of the red white deck without targeting which is always a challenge if they're giving protection and things like that all the protection would uh block this as well but only you know for the brave the brave the elements i believe 
So the only other thing I wanted to talk about here uh, <clears throat> for the metagame stuff is World Championships was this weekend, which once upon a time would have been a pretty massive topic in the MTG finance world. And these days, it just did not matter. To my knowledge, not a single piece of cardboard so much as quivered in terms of price based on what was going on at Worlds, in part because it was an arena-based tournament that was buried in the 30th anniversary celebration in Vegas this weekend, and they were playing Standard and the Pioneer Analog on Arena, which is called Explorer, is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm, Explorer, yeah. Yeah. So Explorer doesn't matter in paper, which is a huge mess on Wizards' part. If they had half a brain cell in terms of their management there, they would have long since synced Pioneer with Arena so that they could get people, get the cross-pollination going properly. And standard is just not where stores are, you know, getting their funds these days. Like it's EDH players coming in and modern and some pioneer. And then standard is like a distant fourth for most stores in North America. So Esper midrange was also hyper dominating uh, at the top tables uh, and with the standard deck lists. And I think at the top four, three of the four were, were Esper or something like that. And you know, they were running relevant cards that once upon a time we would have cared about. You know, we would, would have cared how Rafine Scheming Seer was doing, Ow, the Dawn Sky, Tenacious Underdog, Shieldred, the Apocalypse, Kaido Shizuki and the Wandering Emperor, Wedding Announcement. I mean, I did set, I, I did sell, sell a Japanese foil wedding announcement this morning, so I suppose that might have been an echo. But I just didn't hear any feedback from the pro traders that suggested this was moving cardboard. No, I I didn't either, but I will say Huey Jensen came out, uh, I think it was at Magic 30, I don't think it was on Twitter, but I could be mistaken, and basically said, this was great, glad we did it, but this is essentially the last uh, e-sports tournament, and that they're going back to tabletop going forward for all pro tours, which is a great decision for a variety of reasons, I think. I mean, when you're getting people together, they're in the same room doing these type of online events is not great and then you layer on top of it like you said not having real formats especially some like explorer which is meant to be a bridge meant to be temporary it's just all around a bad look and so hopefully going forward the pro tours will be in paper as expected will begin to get people all talking about the same format at the same time which will build hype which will then move cardboard uh we will see if that's the case i think a lot of it has to do with coverage too and whether coverage exists whether it's good and whether again if there's a critical mass of people all watching the same thing at the same time uh all that and which is a lot to ask at this point because uh, things haven't been going well for the competitive scene for quite a while yep right there with you moving on over to the top paper movers we've got folk hero foil extended art out of the commander legends battle for Baldur's gate edh deck promo packs that is the only place you can get that particular card in foil extended art and they've gone from 49 to 62 that's just 26 percent gains but that is not super surprising to me and is likely to uh, be a situation that that is duplicated over the course of at least three or four other cards in a in the same boat because they're just so hard to come by. The, you expect to find them in other other product mixes, and they're just not there. So any amount of demand for them will steadily drain them out of the market. 
Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, a lot of times when things are low supply, the question is always, did they expect that, right? Is Did they expect it? Is this something that they would want to work, you know, plan ahead to make up for in the future? Cards like this, I don't <clears> think they really cared as much about i mean there's there's basic versions for 90 cents so the fact that there's an expensive premium going around i don't think that would bother watsi in the short run so i can't imagine we're getting a ton of these going forward more might get opened as people are buying the commander legend or the uh the decks promo getting decks that have promo packs in them and be able to crack maybe a few more but I think on TCG right now in foil, there's only 10 copies ramping from 45 to 100. So it's just a matter of what people are willing to pay because there are just not many out there, like you said. We've got Biophagus out of Universes Beyond 40k. It's the Human Tyranid Wizard 1-3. Tap to add one mana of any color. If this mana is spent to cast a creature spell, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Certainly plays into Atraxa counters, matter strategies, works in the Tyranid deck, and there are a variety of other Teamer uh, and Abzan strategies in Commander that can also make use of this kind of an ability. Um, just early motion on a popular 40k card. We talked about Delayed Blast Fireball Extended Arts not that long ago. Uh, these are also found in Collector Boosters from Battle for Baldur's Gate. And these are non-foils, and they went uh, 10 to 14 this week. And I think last week was a few more dollars a little further back down the ladder. So steady drain out on those. We've got a rare sealed product flag in here in the top movers. The 30th advent calendar went on sale this morning and promptly scale fast crashed. That's the third party service that Wizards uses to run these event these sales events, and they did a terrible job of supporting it. People had just a devil of a time getting a checkout. And they also made the very odd decision to uh, let people order 30 at a time, which we'll talk about a little further. Um, but our Protators have already reported flipping these in the 275 to 315 range throughout the day on eBay and elsewise. So huge, huge win if you followed along and heard our recommendations to pay attention to that product because it is looking like a winner, at least in the short term. Yep, this is another example where the obvious oftentimes works out and that it doesn't pay to get super creative. And this is one where, you know, we talked about it at length. There's a variety of things going for it. Um, and so I'm not surprised to see them flipping early on for a significant premium. Be curious where they land in three months once all the copies have dropped and the market has sorted it out. But I will say, I mean, I think Watsy, a lot of people blame, you know, people like us to go out and buy these and raise the price on everyone. And realistically, yeah, to me, it's a, a flaw from Watsi of A, having non-1, 2, 3, 4 quantity limits combined with not printing enough. You know, when you're putting out a product like this, either you want this type of FOMO response and it was strategic, or they made really bad calculations about who's going to be buying it and in what quantities. Either way, you know, I think that really is on Wizards. And uh, these type of products, I think they should aim to have it be available for a limited but not one hour piece of time where you crash websites and people are mad scrambling to get in and have feel bads if they don't. And so hopefully they learned their lesson. I don't think they did because this is a very similar repeat of what happened with Mythic Edition a few years ago, the first edition of that. Um, so hopefully they learn, but I doubt it going forward. 
All right, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the cast. We've got Shrapnel Blast, Foils, and a Mirrodin 6-13. I got to assume that's bro hype driving that. Uh, Hallowed Moonlight, uh, regulars out of Magic Origins, $1.50-$4. This used to be a pretty important card in Standard back in the Jeskai Black era. And now it's anti-creativity, tech, and modern alongside uh, a variety of other uh, solutions, like against anti-living end as well and, and some others. Uh, and we saw it show up in some of those decks in the top eight this week. Pain's Reward Foils that have uh, Saviors of Kamigawa, 10 to $30. Not really sure what that one's all about. And then Paradise Lost Galaxy foils out of infinity 17 to 58 there's actually only one copy listed at 90 plus this is there's like six or seven different cards in this boat from this week from infinity this is just people crunching in on the dearth of galaxy foils they are pretty hard to pull not a ton of that product's getting cracked and so the cards that matter at all are floating you know staying pretty steady at a high level or floating higher while the rest of the site set is just worth nothing like the regular version of this card is 25 cents or something so you've got something like a 240 times multiplier on the galaxy foil at minimum which is pretty Mm -hmm. crazy and And there's some that sold for 30 and 40 one copy for 30 one copy for 40 i would be laughing getting those prices and take that all day long i don't i don't know who's going to spend 70 80 dollars on these to make that double up happen Prince of Thralls is our final here uh, out of a Lara block, $8 to $28. Uh, hasn't been printed in some time and is a relevant card if you're building Bellacor, which is, I think, the top three, third most played commander in EDH uh, at present. That's the demon commander out of the 40k set. Moving on over to Magic Online. Tell us what's happening over there. Sure, so Brother War hype is in full effect, seeing Karn, the great creator, go from 28 to about 36.5 tickets, uh, so about a 30% gain, and that is based on, I believe, the new tools that have been allowed under Brother's War. We'll talk about some of those, but there is a number of artifacts that you can put into a wish list that provide a lot of versatility, a lot of anti-combo, hate, things like that. And so I think people are gearing up to to play those decks in about a week and a half here. Uh, Treasure Vault also moved from about 3.75 to $6. Uh, I'm not actually sure. I didn't see it as a part of any major competitive deck. So maybe, again, people are getting ready for wanting to turn on Metalcraft, potentially in Pioneer, uh, which is a theme in Brothers War. Uh, Diabolic Intent, the Planes Shift version, so the old old border uh, classic version, went from about 450 to 8 uh, for a 70% gain, and that is because it now got reprinted into Brothers, uh, Brothers War, making it newly legal to Modern and Pioneer. Unclear if it'll see play, but it is a, a powerful card, and particularly on Pioneer, it seems like it slides right into Grease Fang uh, in... Uh, kind of existing shells with modifications so i i'll be curious to see if it works out everyone always thinks tutors uh are better than they are competitively and so i i think it might see play but either way nice to see the old borders go up but i would be selling as well and finally ulamog the ceaseless hunger from battle for zendikar going from about 350 to 660 for 88 percent gains is this based on the tibalt trickery deck and pioneer that aspiring spike has been promoting basically uh, similar to what was being run on magic arena uh, about a year ago where you're playing a free spell into countering it yourself with tibalt trickery searching up 
um, the next very, very big thing in your deck, which is uh, Ulamog's one option. There are several others that you can hit, and then you're getting to cast it, so you're even getting the cast trigger. Uh, and so you're, you're basically throwing a very big threat out there, urging your opponent to be able to deal with it. If they can, you're probably losing, but if they can't, you're winning on the spot. Uh, so very traditional combo deck uh, that is kind of a glass, glass, uh, cannon, glass yeah. cannon in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we can move on over to our cards to watch here. Uh, I called out the Atraxes around 40 to go to 70 last week, and given everything we've seen from Brothers War, um, which is looking like a very good set, the the support in red, black, white, blue for a variety of fun artifacts, matters cards, and artifacts to play from a commander's perspective had a bunch of us talking about whether Brea might see a resurgence. Brea is a top 30 commander all time. One of your best options to address artifact themes in a commander game because it has the four colors available to it, much in the same way that Atraxa has been so popular as a top five commander for so long because she's so flexible. And it's only top 30 in the last year, which is down a bit from its earlier uh, popularity. But I suspect it's going to get a boost from Brothers War and... Even if it's a slow burn, these $10 gilded foils for Brea have to be solid in the long run. It's the only time you're ever going to see this version of the card in this way. They'll definitely give us another Brea sometime in the next, you know, anywhere from one to five years probably. But by the time that comes around, this one will be probably be well, well drained out. Top Commander. It looks amazing. Uh, I, I think I mean, we've talked about this in cast before, but people doubted whether they'd look as good, whether the gilded would be nice. These are fantastic. And I think as soon as people see them being played on the other side of the table, uh, they'll take notice. And so $10 for a Brea in foil looking beautiful is so cheap. I think it's one of those things that is almost criminal. And we'll, we'll look back on it in a year or two, assuming there's no other printings, of course. But um, this was a secret layer, which means it likely takes any sort of secret layer off the table for quite a while. Um, that is not always the case, as we've seen, but for quite a while. So having that natural steady growth from 10 to 25 seems very reasonable. It's actually 76 near mint listings <clears throat> with a smattering of walls here and there. There's a wall at 13 from Dark Age Games on TCG Player, 31 copies. But it might, the thing about Brea versus Atraxa is... Atraxa is more reliable, but getting from 40 to 70 is actually harder than getting from 10 to 25, just because of how price psychology works. Right. So yep. even though the demand for the Atraxas might be double or triple the Brea's, Brea may end up being the better spec, depending on how things play out here and whether it actually, if it cracks top 10 during Brothers War build hype for EDH, then you're in pretty good shape. If it doesn't show up on people's radar and people build the new Brothers War specific commanders instead to a greater extent, well, then it's going to take longer. Yeah, and it's a secret layer too, which, I mean, that's that's the main thing that drives this, I think, is that it has lower... Secret layers tend to have relatively small supplies, uh, a lot of people that are buying them. You know, obviously, there's bricks going to vendors, but a lot of them are buying them for their own collection, so... We tend to see Secret Labors rebound fairly well, just naturally, over that 18, 24-month period. And I, you know, I think this would be the same regardless of what happens in Brothers War. I think that that might help accelerate it, which would be nice. But 
especially if you're looking at the 18 time to 18 month timeline i think that's kind of a blip on the radar and it'll be more natural growth or a future set a year from now that that really triggers it all right you've got some early swipes at double masters here double masters 2022 let's uh, dive in on that Sure. So double, we've talked about this timing on double masters is sensitive. Um, yeah, I think you probably could wait on these for maybe a couple more weeks, December, get through the VIPs, but looking at the trends, it seems like the best cards from the last double masters were the ones that recovered the fastest. And so those are the only ones that I've been keeping my eye on lately. Uh, and so that's what I tried to put on here. It was really kind of the pinnacle of the cards. Uh, one of which is Dockside Extortionist, of course, um, and looking specifically at the borderless foils um, for a variety of reasons. One, I think the art is more unique, is just uh, superior in a lot of ways, but also looking at the sales patterns compared to, per se, the etch foil, there are just a ton more copies being sold. Uh, I think there's about 51 copies of foil sold in the last 31 days, so about two a day, roughly on average. Uh, here whereas on the etched foils it was much more modest and the supply is a little bit thinner but not that much thinner so told me that the borderless was something that people liked Uh, additionally the foils are um, roughly close getting close to the non-foil price and in edh i'd rather have the foils and on top of that when you looked at the walls between foils and non-foils the um, non-foils had a lot deeper supply it was about similar number of vendors at a pretty small amount only 43 vendors for the foils uh, right around the same for the non-foils but there were several walls of five six seven eight for the non-foils but there were not for any of the foils and so that just tells me i think we're getting to the point where you know people want this card they're willing to pay for it um, 70 is less than or equal to what they were paying previously for dockside and normal non-foil uh, this type of thing is a reprint equity gold, and they're not going to waste it reprinting it again in the next year or so. And so I think now is probably a safe time to get in and start, keep buying. You know, I would I, I want to get a stack of these, and so I'm going to be probably buying a few every month for the next I don't know, two or three months through January or February dollar cost averaging. So I find the low at some point, but you know, making sure I get an adequate supply. That said, I wouldn't go too deep because i do think dockside has a band risk associated with it once they get their money they get this reprint equity you know maybe they just say we're gonna toss in the towel people don't like this card and ban it i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that i tend to think it's probably fine but you never really know i'm a seller on dockside at present i think the okay the play on it is probably buying it at buy list on tcg player and flipping it at current pricing so I know you have access to that, for instance, and I like that better than I do um, just buying and holding because I suspect, I, I very much suspect this card's going to get banned in EDH. Like they, they, Sheldon Mennery made a comment that kind of alluded to that not so long ago, somewhere towards end of summer, early fall, talking about like some cards are on our watch list and may not survive 2023 or something like that. And Dockside has to be at the top of that list. It does way too much for way too little. There's almost no downside to playing it. If you're even splashing into red and have access to the mana easily enough, then you're going to play it. It doesn't really matter what the themes of your deck are because no matter what you're doing, your deck probably wants to accelerate. And what Dockside typically tends to do is generate somewhere between three and eight treasures when it hits the board. And because people forget 
they think it like just counts artifacts. No, no, no. It counts artifacts and enchantments. So they've got uh, a Necropotence out. Somebody's got a Rhystic Study. Somebody's got an Esper Sentinel. Three of the players have some combination of Soul Ring, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, Signets, what have you. And then on turn three, four, five, you drop your Dockside and you basically get to play your turn eight or nine on turn four or five. And I think the card's just too good. Does more than it is supposed to do. And there's probably some fixed version of this that would be an all-time staple and would be safe forever. Something like maxing that it makes three treasure or four treasure or something like that would have made it very, very good still, but not potentially completely ridiculous. Um, There's other ways they can tune this idea for future, but I'm worried about, you know, holding things like Japanese foil borderless docksides that I picked up cheap in Japan uh, due to the currency fluctuation for too, too long. Now, if I'm wrong about the banning and it just survives forever, then yeah, these are these are the biggest no-brainer in history. Um, however, I, al- I also think we're just early on Double Masters 2022. Um, I, I'm the one who posted the information to the Discord a while back talking about how quickly the best cards in, in Double Masters rebounded after the VIP packs, so I'm completely on board with you there. But I'm not convinced we are there yet based on the way the price trend lines look on, uh, you know, TCG player, etc. It looks like the Dockside has been basically in a downward slide all the way since release. And it doesn't look like it has bounced off a bottom yet. So currently you can get copies around, borderless copies around 50. Um, I would imagine that putting ban lists completely aside, we're going to see these get as low as... 40 to 45 in the in the next three months we've got a real like sales weakness period going on from mid-december to mid-january and then of course we have dominaria uh remaster that's going to pop up and and basically kickstart the year somewhere in that zone you might see some hot deals on dockside and of course buy list price on them is at 45 which is pretty confident given that you can get copies at 50 that's only a five dollar spread so i guess you don't really you don't have uh, fantastic buy list access automatically just from being a vendor on there at present. So I think that putting ban risk aside, you can wait another one to three months, look for an entry, and then if it doesn't catch a ban, then I would imagine that these rebound from, say, 45 to 80 in the, the subsequent 6 to 12 months of 2023. Now, if it catches a banning, then it's wrecked because it gets played absolutely nowhere else. So I'm curious. So do you think having the reprint equity squeezed makes it more or less likely to be banned? I agree with you that once they have stopped selling Double Masters 2022, they will be more interested. I think that had this not caught a reprint, Oversight Committee for Commander would have already banned the card. Yeah. So I think two things. One, I think I agree with that but it's not the case. Two, I think because it's staying so expensive, I think it makes it less likely to be banned. Because if it if it crashed, if it fell down to $30, $25, something like that, I think it's a lot easier to pull the trigger on a ban and people go, oh, well, that, that sucks. But when people are spending $50, $60, $70 still after a reprint and they're going, like, oh, I finally got this, it's cheaper, whatever, and then it gets banned. I think... That makes a lot of people feel bad. The, and so the funny thing is, I, is be, I don't know. The funny thing is that if I was on the advisory group 
if I was on keg, I would not be in favor of banning this card. I, I think that this card is too good. But I think it's okay for for EDH to have its own power nine. I think it's okay for that format to have cards that are at a higher level of brokenness and in proportion to everything else that's going on, uh, potentially at the table, because it is a self-regulating format. In, in my opinion, if your playgroup is playing at a lower level, like say you're playing with three newer players that haven't spent more than $100 on their decks, you just take stuff like Dockside out of your deck. Like you, you should just be playing a different version of one of your decks to accommodate that slice of the community you're engaging with. If you're playing with your CDH buddies, everybody's bringing the, the heat, and the person that fires off a Dockside and then tries to go off has to get fight through the interference from three other decks. And that should be a natural limit on yeah. I, this mana crypt's really the same thing, right? Like that's the, my equivalent of this is that mana crypt's allowed to stay around and soul be ring. free. Free soul ring's part of the the format, I you know, and that that is kind of like brainstorm where you know you just kind of take it off the table. But yeah, same same concept. But mana crypt's expensive. It's a mythic. It gives you literally free mana, obviously minus the life risk which isn't a big deal in commander and that card shouldn't exist it shouldn't it you should not be able to get free mana out of nowhere but it does and so having that analog i think is what i look at with dockside is that you know it's it's not great for the format probably but people like doing powerful things and they like buying expensive cards that are flashy and you know i just have a hard time seeing them step in and say we're gonna crush your wallet on this thing that you know isn't killing the format maybe it's degenerate like but you know it's not doing any harm it's not doing what uh opposition or not opposition uh hall breacher did where you're wheeling and taking all the cards from everyone else refilling your hand and basically any of the game it's not doing that um so it doesn't feel as bad yeah i've been posting copies that i cracked for sale on the assumption of a ban but if I'm wrong, then you're going to be right. And this 70 to 150 might be a little ambitious, but I think 70 to 125 is very, very likely in six to nine months from now um, on the foils. On, on the yeah. non-foils, there's a deeper pool of them. It's going to take longer for them to drain out. I'm also not like a massive fan of this art. I think this art is whatever. It's not, not a card I'm like proud to table for its aesthetic appeal. And I think actually that the I like the foil etched version better because the art on that's not any better, but the presentation is. Um, all that being said, 60 listings, and it's actually not easy to get these at your $70 price point. Like you might be able to get a handful, a double handful, and then you're already looking at 75 to 80. So Right, which is why I plan to, and we've talked about this, I don't buy things over time. This is a card that, you know, it it's expensive, it's worth the time. So I'll probably buy play set every month for the next four months get 16 copies and i also keep them so i do tcg store your product where i send it to tcg they just hold on to it for me i sell it you know hopefully down the road and then they ship it out for me and i pay a fee for that this is the type of card i won't send to tcg because i want to have it on hand in case it gets banned that i can try to liquidate it as soon as possible um, to buy lists or you know to, on a private private sale for a significant discount so that is one unique thing about this card that i will 
be doing with my personal copies. Now, I don't see any discounts on this over in Europe. Uh, I think any cheap copies of this got bought up pretty quickly in Japan with the currency shift, so I don't think they're easily available there either. And so I, I think this is just a high-risk play that will be high reward. If it if it does not catch the ban, then your target looks very reasonable to me. Um, my second selection is Exquisite Blood, the foil borderless version that came in the secret layers. Uh, it has a Dracula-specific name, uh, but it is an Exquisite Blood, which is in 41,000 decks in EDH rec, and this one is down to 40 listings. Uh, solid wall still remaining, only sells a copy a day or so in foil, so it's going to be a slow burn, but this particular version of the card is unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon. I think Exquisite Blood is underprinted overall, however. Uh, I think it has a mystery booster printing in the last five years, and then the secret layer thing, and that's it. So it could show up jump, in, in a... Jumpstart. Yeah, sorry, Jumpstart. So actually, yeah, it's not, it's not, it hasn't been too, too bad. It's been Jumpstart, Avacyn Restored, The List, and then this secret layer. Um, they might leave it alone for two to three years. And if they do, I think the 22 to 45 is very easy. Uh, if it catches a reprint in, say, a standard set in some kind of subset uh, of evil-themed cards in the, uh, the Phyrexia set in the winter, then it would be a little more challenging. But this card, two-card combo uh, with the other black enchantment uh, that basically infinitely drains the table and gives you infinite life off one trigger. It's always been good in the Loro for me, and it's good in a variety of other life gain decks. And yeah, 40 listings is not much. No way to restock. Secret layer cards that are this popular tend to do well over time. Yeah, I mean, the sales, you said it's had a kind of a trickle, but looking at it, it seems pretty solid. That there's a number of the foil copies moving specifically. It does it does okay, but it's like once every day, every two days. Whereas you know something like the dockside extortionist we were just looking at moves more frequently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Dracula art, but I think it's unique. Which, you know, even if I don't like something, I think being unique and something that um, separates it from other versions is really important. This definitely has that. I don't think the supply on this is probably too crazy. Um, I mean, based on the number of vendors, and I, I just remember when it was going on, I think a lot of people only bought it because it was part of the bundle rather than, you know, as like an individual target. Because if I remember correctly, there wasn't a ton in this specific drop that was much adding a lot of EB beyond exquisite blood. I believe it was kind of like one of those. No, isn't fine. isn't this the one with Phyrexian Tower? Sure, I and mean, that's like what ten? No, not for that version. It is Dracula's Tomb is sixteen. Yeah, but it probably was ten when it launched. I would guess. It. No, it started at 30 for the foils and 20 for the regulars and dropped off down to 22 foils, 13 regulars, and it's been slowly kind of even on yeah, the foils and the climbing up on the non-foils. Okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so looking at this, life gain is the, if, if you go on edhrec.com, there is themes, uh, which is something that is very helpful to know, you know, if you're 
trying to buy into a theme or a card that's really specific to a theme, whether or not it has you know a lot of play and you know might help drive the price. Uh, life gain is the number two popularity theme right behind artifacts. So I would argue it's almost number one uh, because artifacts is so generic. And so life gain tends to move prices. Uh, this card used to be what 40 before the reprint in non foil. And so I think it has that price history that people remember that they knew it was expensive at one point. So they don't mind as much of paying for it in the future. Um, also, you can't not run this. I think it's part of it. I mean, this is integral to any life gain type of deck because of the combo potential. Um, the EDA direct stats reflect that. So, I, I mean, I think long term, like like we said, secret layers tend to go up. This is, you know, I think generally one of those that would probably go up anyway because of the uniqueness of the art and the, the supply, relatively speaking. Going from 22 to 45, I'd probably say... Yeah, like 40. Sounds right. And then once you hit that, yeah, maybe those price walls in your kind of head go to a point where you, you don't really want to spend extra for it. Um, I could see them doing this, printing it over and over and over again, and draining the regular versions down quite a bit. But that's why it's important to have unique art, uh, which the, this does have. And it's probably, I think, the go-to if you want something unique and, and separate. And a lot of the others besides Avacyn aren't foil, correct? The other what? Other versions of this card. Uh, yeah, not because the list is not, not jumpstart and not the list. Jumpstart, yeah. So it's just Avacyn, which isn't really competition when you when you think about um, the fact that there's seventy dollars in original printing. Okay, so this is really the only accessible foil in a lot of ways. Okay, so let's talk about your final selection here. So sticking with the double masters theme, I think this is one of the other premier cards that is likely to bounce back and is also less likely to be reprinted, which is Force of Negation, um, specifically the non-foil borderless version. And here my comparison is Force of Will, uh, which obviously is a little bit different. It's a mythic. Um, it, it has a different kind of play pattern a little bit in terms of what it's seen play. But Force Negation is obviously very big in EDH. It is almost 80,000 decks. Uh, but in addition, it's still being played very extensively in modern, um, in key archetypes like Living End and others, um, as well as in uh, Legacy, which is less of a driver of price, but uh, is still important. And the art is one that is reminiscent of the Force of Will art in original Double Masters, which people liked, they uh, bought a lot of, are very, very expensive now. And so, you know, my hope is that this goes from its current price tag of around 32 to 60 uh, could go higher, but um, yeah, I think that's probably long term where I would want to be exiting. This isn't a sure bet by any means. This is a card that's already been reprinted twice since it was released about you know whatever a little over two years ago in Modern Horizons original, um, both in foil in Modern Horizons two plus this Double Masters version. That said, this is the first non-foil reprint uh, because Modern Horizons two is only foil etched uh, and regular foil and. You know, I just think this is one of those cards that it is so good at what it does. It's one of the best things. It's a free spell. It sees a lot of play in a lot of decks and has great art. Seems likely to bounce back. Um, but like Dockside, I think you have time here. Um, I'm going to start buying and probably continue to buy up to probably 40 copies or so, which is um, double what I did for the original printing of this, and which made me a lot of money. 
and you know, I think there's it's not without risk. I mean, if it hits, if it gets hit again by another printing, I think it could really crush the price. But if it doesn't, I mean, look at any free uh, counter spell, whether it's Force of Negation or more recently the Commander versions. They're all very expensive. Why? Because they do exceptional things that can't be matched by many other cards and i expect this to again without a reprint continue to see pressure over the next 18 months or so and roughly double in price i'm not worried about a reprint here certainly not worried about a ban i think it's a long-term super staple um my main concern here is dockside's a mythic and this is a rare so it when you look at it you kind of think it's it aligns in your head with force of will so it feels like it should be mythic but it's a rare and because it's a rare, there are 109 listings on TCG Player at present for non-foils. There's probably something like 150 copies or whatever. It does sell pretty briskly, um, you know, anywhere from one to five copies a day in, in non-foil. So that's a pretty strong pace, one of the strongest of any of the cards we looked at tonight. But I think it's early. I, again, I think it's early. It's been on a downward slope. It doesn't look like it's bounced off anything. So I think the challenge is for a lot of these, uh, a lot of the double masters, but just in general, with so much pressure being put on the fall with Brothers War release combined with the um, big secret layer launches here, both in terms of Magic 30 plus the uh, Super super Buy plus the $1,000 booster packs uh, plus Dominaria United in January, there's going to be a hesitation to just kind of hold a lot of purchases until, say, February and and do it then. If you can mentally do that and separate everything and really build your list and purchase everything in February or whenever it is when you feel the bottom hits, I think you go for it, right? I think that's probably the ideal scenario. That said, I don't think a lot of people can work that way. And so... Yeah, I think being a little early on some of these things, we, you know, kind of like on the selling end, we say leave the last 10% to other people. On staples like this, I don't mind buying in 10% high and getting in while it's kind of on top of mind. You, you're, It's on your radar because you might forget about it and in three or four months say, oh man, I should have really been getting into that earlier. Um, so I, I agree. I think you have time. Uh, on most of these double masters things you have until basically january february i think uh but i don't think you'll lose a lot by buying now and again doing a little bit of batching for each of these over the next couple months getting in and slowly dollar cost averaging until you start start seeing the ramp up uh the slowdown of inventory and you could wait till then i do think that is very true uh but personally i'll be doing slow buy-ins and dollar cost averaging over time my concern is that I'm worried this one's going to go 34 to 48 in six months minus fees and shipping. In six months? Is that what you said? Yeah, like that's, that could be the, could end up being the scenario that plays out where it slowly pushes up and it takes like the better part of a year to a year and a half to ever get there. And the sharpest spike is something like next May or next June. So I have this list at 18 months. Uh, generally speaking, any slow burn, I, I tend to think... 12 to 18 months is the appropriate yeah, time period. So I, I'm less concerned about that, but yeah, I, I think it's six months, you know, at best, this is moving, you know, six, $8. I think it is going to be a slow gain until it is not included in a set that people want it to be. 
that then creates like a year gap and people say, well, if I don't get my copies now, then when am I going to get them? They're not going to get any cheaper. And so they'll just start buying in uh, in mass. And which is what we saw after uh, Modern Horizons 2 when this was only printed in foil. People saw that and they, they went in and drove this price up to, you know, I think I sold some copies for almost as, as much as $90. Um, and that faded. That wasn't the kind of normal price after a couple months. But um, that's what I think is it'll slow gain. And then once people, you know, see it being excluded and, you know, kind of some of the main sets and they start to realize this isn't coming anytime soon, then they'll start to buy it at the higher price uh, and make the trajectory go a little bit faster. So out of Brea, Force of Negation, Exquisite Blood, and Dockside, what's your favorite this week? Brea, definitely. I, I Just because it's cheap, right? You you ideally want your specs to be very reasonable because in price because they uh, will limit your downside and be able to buy you more copies, uh, making the upside a lot greater. Here you could buy... I mean, compared to Dockside, right? I, I like Dockside. I'm going to buy some, but my budget is fairly expansive. If you have a limited budget and you can pick up seven Brea or one Dockside, I'm taking the seven Brea every time. Uh, ideally, you want to spread it out and have a little bit of everything. That way, if one's not working out, it, you know you have other options. But if I was picking one, it would be Brea. If the risk was the same on the two, I think I would choose Brea. But Brea is predicated on events that haven't yet happened yet. Dockside is predicated on, you know, S-tier popularity that might be at risk of a banning. Uh, I think I like Dockside here um, over Brea. The, going 10 to 30 is always easier and better in, in many situations than going, say, 70 to 150. But outside of a ban, the Dockside has an easier chance of getting there. It's close. I, it's one of those two. Moving on over to weekly topics, I guess we'll finish up our, our conversation about the Advent calendar. This is 30 cards representing the 30 years of Magic's history being presented for the 30th anniversary. Uh, very amusing because the 30th anniversary packs, which are the $250 boosters, uh, $1,000 a box, that haven't even gone on sale yet, were in play on the floor at the GP in Vegas this weekend because they're doing the first big 30th anniversary party there and they both gave a bunch of packs away to people for a variety of things uh, to influencers and also people that won tournaments or just happened to be standing around talking to Watsy staff all sorts of people were on social media showing them off there were some very sad openings as expected and some very exciting ones um, vendors were very active on the floor trying to figure out what to offer. We had uh, Michael Caffrey from Tales of Adventure on not that long ago, and he seemed to be at the forefront of that movement, trying to set some some prices for cards on the floor. And his prices ranged from you know hundred up to several hundred for for some of the more relevant cards. And there was vendors that were buying up packs on the floor for you know, somewhere in the 150 to $200 range and other people paid above retail for those packs on the floor to make sure they had a nice stack of them. Um, I had a pro trader who, I guess for the, there was a high tier package that you could pre-purchase and they surprised those people by including four packs. Uh, so they yeah. got just ridiculous value. Um, and one of the pro traders was in that boat and I had offered, I think something like 150 or 175 a pack or something like that. Um, 
for the free packs they got and they opted to open them themselves and struck out <laughs> yeah yeah the so the black lotus pack which is the one that came with four cost seven hundred dollars for the admission to the convention and they wound up getting like you said four packs which was three hundred dollars net ev just right off the top which was great for them i felt bad for the ruby level people because i think they paid five hundred and I don't think they got any packs. <laughs> so <laughs> it would have been nice to see them scale it and get like two for the 500, one sure. for the 300. Yeah. I don't think that happened. It gave, it, I think it gave one of those messages of, again, this isn't for you, which is un- a little unfortunate because I think that could have been avoided. But it was it was a good way to build hype, I think, for this. Um, all You saw on Twitter all over people cracking these packs, like you said, and just some of the buzz around it. And of course, people complaining and you know that is i I think inevitable with this type of product but um generally speaking i think it showed that people at least some people care a lot about you know cracking trying to get something exciting recording it tweeting it out uh and that's what i think watsu was going for and they i think having vendors sell out of packs on site things like that i think helps build hype for the the final release here coming up there was some other additional side drama related to the 30th anniversary packs that came out over the weekend because they launched a like 20 or 30 minute commercial for the packs, uh, breaking down kind of decision making around them, what's included, a little bit of history and tidbits of you know factoids and whatever. And they had Dragonlord Brian Kibler, ex-Pro Tour player, now with this like gorgeous graying mane of medieval hair. Uh, alongside his new partner, Olivia Gooper Hicks, I believe, um, who's a cosplayer and magic personality. Also, I think a, a jeweler of note. She, she mm. makes jewelry. Um, and they hired those two to kind of break, like, to be the, the front people for the set. And it came, I, I just thought the whole thing was set up so funny. Like, it, it felt like a shopping network scented candle sale or something like they were trying to like really kind of mellow their way through it instead of like really going hard on the hype angle i think they figured if they put like popular personalities in front of the product and then had them talk about it in a very low-key way it might avoid some of the feel bads that were you know running rampant around this product and instead it was like totally the opposite people got started getting mad at kibler on on twitter for uh, fronting the product and and he ended up having to write a whole mini essay explaining why he thought people were off their rocker for complaining about it and <laughs> it just drew they extended the lightning rod hmm. um, into another week and I think they'd be much better off just going quiet on this product to be honest the likelihood that they are going to have to backdoor some amount of the product seems high to me what that might do to packs prices say three six twelve months out is still an unknown because we need to see what happens with the sale now we saw that Scalefast was a complete shit show this morning with the advent calendars and it seemed like vendors were placing very large orders i had predicted that they were going to limit it four to, per household but hasbro in their ultimate greed went with 30 per household uh, which is basically just opening up a wholesale website for vendors to buy product so they, it's open to thirty, but then it seemed like that got scaled back because I know several vendors were reporting ordering like thirty between three orders, like ten a piece, 
And so I, I think maybe I haven't gotten confirmation on this because I was just busy all day and had I had people buying for me, but I actually didn't get to buy myself because I was literally in work meetings all day, which is unfortunate. But uh, yeah, people were reporting having like three orders for 30, even right at the beginning. So I think they might have caught that early and then lowered it to maybe 10, but I'm not positive of that. It, it, it's possible they tried to do that along the way, but it all went so quickly and was yeah, such a mess yeah, that it's, it it's hard to feel it out. I can tell you that when I ordered in Europe, because I was busy in the morning and missed the initial North American sale, but then discovered that both the UK and Europe had kind of hassle-free ordering. They just Those sites weren't busy at all. Um, I just went to the European site and got my whole order in, in less than two minutes. Um, now, thing about that is... I, if I'm not mistaken, they warned that the non-North American orders were not going to get shipped for the holiday season. I Interesting. Think, I think they said that. So I went in eyes wide open in Europe thinking, okay, I'm going to pay more here because it worked out to almost 170 a unit to pay in euros as opposed to the 150 that was the base price in North America with free shipping over 99 or whatever. Plus, there's a, some potential that I've, I've heard from vendors in Europe that Wizards in Europe screws up the EU tax handling all the time. Yeah. Because, again, nice. ScaleFast is a, is a shit show. So when and they're running the, the European site through the same platform. So though the, ta- the VAT was definitely included in the, you know, 170 per unit. There's a chance that if they are shipping those units from outside Europe into Europe to make the delivery, that the person receiving them could get hit with customs on the way in if they haven't provided the proper paperwork to demonstrate that VAT's already been paid. Man. So it could end up... Yeah, it could end up that those are $200 units. And though ProTraders were able to unload them on pre-order today on eBay into the FOMO hype after it sold out at... 300 plus, 285, 290, 275, whatever. By the time all the units actually land that have been ordered, and there were estimates floating around that there might be something like 100,000, there was something like 30 to 35,000 orders total, and that if you take, take a guess at what the average order size was, you might be able to work out that there's somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 total units produced, which would be the biggest secret layer ever. Yeah. As far as we know. By by a big magnitude. I mean, I think the yeah. Praetors was estimated around 100, 120. So I suspect that you, the move here is absolutely you wanted to order it in North America. Absolutely you want to be selling pre-order. You want to get tracking on those as soon as you possibly can. Hopefully Wizards ships them on time, at least in North America, so that people can follow through on that effectively and, not, and Wizards doesn't screw over... 15,000 sales on eBay or something by not delivering when they're supposed to. Um, Because I think that once all that inventory lands, the price is going to drop much closer to cost. So instead of 150, maybe units will be going for 185 to 215 or something at some point. And then it becomes a question of, do you want to buy back in at that price to hold for the longer term? Right. Or crack. Yeah. I think you can also crack for singles, singles, especially with the foils adding to the EV. You know, I think you could get probably a a decent premium cracking for singles because this is a product, unless you're a collector and you want to put it on a nightstand, you're not going to, or in a collector display, you're not going to want 
all 30 cards. At least a normal secret area, it's five cards. Maybe you want two of them, and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll pick that up. But here, 30 cards, I mean, you, you're going to have to play a very large variety of decks. Well, the other thing is that those 30 are not uh, aesthetically linked. Yes, true. quite intentionally, they are all, a, a whole bunch of different artists, a whole bunch of different styles. They don't have a constant theme other than being a relevant card from each of the 30 years. And so you're not going to display them in a binder alongside each other. Yep. So I, I do think in the next couple of weeks that those singles might be picks on the cast, because especially if they hit really hard, everyone's landing at the exact same time. The quantity is a couple hundred thousand they will crush the prices um, and they might provide good pickup opportunities. Yeah. I don't know how far out that's going to be, but I would imagine that we could see 300 plus listings on opening weekend for the relevant cards. Yep. Yep. It could be a while before we're able to call them out as, as picks. The foils of course are going to be a much bigger deal because they have a two to one ratio with the non foils by nature. Let me think about that for a second. 30%. So out of 30 cards, you basically get 10 foils and 20 non foils. And that's all equally, they're all the same rarity, effectively. So yeah, there should be half as many foils as non-foils, right? Uh, I thought it was like three times as many non-foils as foils. It's well, no, because it's 30, 30%, 30%, 30% of 30 is 10, roughly. Like nine right? Um, are going to be foil so in everybody's package. So for argument's oh, sake, let's just say you're saying 10 versus replacing, 20. You're saying because it's replacing, I see. Cause it's replacing. Yeah, because they replace. Yeah, yeah they yeah, replace. Yeah. They're not in separate slots. Yeah. Yeah, so that would make sense. Double. So there should be, twi- should be twice as many non-foils as foils, which should lead to a significantly larger price gap between the two as compared to what we've traditionally seen with secret layers, where I think the majority of vendors that, that go deep buy non-foils because they've been worried about f- selling uh, Pringles. And the foils and the non-foils end up being about the same price because there's probably like a you know a roughly equal split of the two in the market. Yeah, and it all depends on the card. So Lockdown Warhammer in great new art with foil, I think could do very well. And same with um, the Chromox in Old Border. But some of these others, people don't care, and so it it won't hold as much of a premium. So it'll, it'll depend card by card for sure. But definitely a, a strong strong premium overall and card by card it might be even excessively so so all that being said i would looking forward to the 30th anniversary launch in the next couple weeks i would expect that that launch may also sell out but only because wizards will limit it to less than they actually printed sure I, there's, I there's no way they were they going around not, to distributors. Sell out, yeah. There's no way they were going around to distributors trying to backdoor product if, if it's actually at such a limited run that they were worried it might sell out. They just wouldn't have had any need to do that. So, it seems to me like they will put exactly the amount of units up there that they think will likely be likely to sell out, and then they will declare it sold out. And then there will be maybe a FOMO spike on those two hundred fifty dollars packs up to like, whatever three twenty five, three fifty a pack. And then they will actually they will leak slowly back into the market over the next six months as Wizards finds little ways to dump them here and there at tournaments and through LGSs and so forth. Right. I, I mean, give this away to the top eight of GPs or like you know equivalent to that'll happen. Pro tours and worlds and uh, you know whatever all these different things. There's ways to leak little things out, and you know who's to say they're not keeping 
you know, keep a couple of those pallets back for Magic 40, something like that. Um, they'll Later they'll use, figure yeah. it out. And, and worse comes worse, they burn them. You know, if yep, I, like that I said, is, that I said is before, what they have done in the past. If I'm Wizards, I print aggressively and then I get rid of whatever I don't sell because you don't know what the market bear yet. And so I would rather be overprepared, keep it open for an hour, act like it was a big success. No matter what it is, it will be because you've sold a bunch of product that is cardboard that costs you nothing and you move on. And now after that, you have a baseline going forward. So we will see. What, what do right. you think? What do you think their goal of sellout timeline is for I mean, based on this experience? I mean, do you think they want to keep this open for a day or two? Do you think they want BOMO four hours? What do you think they want after this? Let's say that they go, okay, we printed 50,000 boxes. We're going to put up 10,000 and see what happens. And those 10,000 go really fast. Then they'll put some more up. And they'll, they'll put them up in chunks and they'll look at velocity. And when velocity falls off a cliff, they will quickly pull back on the inventory so that it sells out by the end of that day. Sure. I could see that. All right, so let's move on over to Brothers War. There's been all sorts of reveals. The big subset, uh, well, there's two big subsets. One is Transformers. The other one is the retro uh, blueprint slash sketch artifacts uh, that have a a solid size subset in the Brothers War uh, collector boosters in particular, where you can find both a retro version of this subset of artifacts, a retro sketch version, and then a numbered 1 to 500 double rainbow foil sketch version and people were you know wondering you know how how many good artifacts are actually going to be on this list turns out it was solid not amazing probably better than the mystical archives was um but not as good as say the masterpiece artifacts back in kaladesh the mythics on the list include Etherflux Reservoir, Altar of Dementia, Cage Sun, Helm of the Host, Mesmeric Orb, Mind's Eye, Mox Amber, Mystic Forge, Perilous Vault, Phyrexian Processor, Platinum Angel, Ramos Dragon Engine, Staff of Domination, Sundering Titan, and Worm Coil Engine. I would imagine that the biggest deals there are the Reservoir, the Altar of Dementia, the Mox Amber, Mystic Forge and worm coil i think so and you know the funny thing is so several of these aetherflux web reservoir and hell of the host and, and probably others that i'm missing were upgraded from rares to mythics specifically for this product which i'm sure is tweaking some people the wrong way i mean i think that's fine to be honest if you have a too. very if you have a very popular card of any rarity i think it's fine to make a special version of it at a different rarity i think that just makes sense well Um, do you think it's at a different rarity just for this or going forward oh uh no i would i would think that it's just for this i i would not at all be surprised to see um etherflux reservoir at rare in some future master set i'm gonna go with they're gonna keep it at mythic it's an option i mean i don't think i I could honestly i don't dementia is weird to have at mythic though so yeah i could see either way now, in the retro rares, 
There's a whole bunch. Most of them don't matter. The ones that do matter are as follows. Ashnod's Altar, Chromatic Lantern, Defense Grid, Gilded Lotus, Sculpting Steel, Sword of the Meek, Thorn of Amethyst, and Well of Lost Dreams. I would imagine that Chromatic Lantern, Defense Grid, and Thorn of Amethyst probably matter the most there. Defense Grid and Thorn both have Legacy Cube implications, and the one of 500s so should be pretty pricey. Yeah, Ashnod's Altar is getting expensive. I mean, for what it is fairly expensive i think um I'll, let's see i mean throughout the list cage sun is one that was getting a little bit wasn't it too but yeah i mean these are all fine right none of these jump out as me as you know oh my god that i can't wait to see that in a one out of 500 right they're all i mean mox, mox amber i think is yeah. really good Mo- um, mox honestly, amber think, is the is the is the yeah, chase card here mishra bobble honestly i mean even though the regular versions will be pretty cheap i think that's one that the 500 limited edition will be pressed because oh, it's yeah. just so broadly played actually all of, i flagged five uncommons that in a one in 500 scenario should be very mm-hmm. popular chromatic star mishra's bobble soul guide lantern spring leaf drum and swiftfoot boots are widely enough played in either modern commander or both that they should be chase as well in their best versions. Um, art overall on these sketch cards looks very good. I don't love all of them, but most of them are great. Um, and there's also a very solid assortment of uncommons where Brothers War as a whole just seems to be packed with strong uncommons. There was Obliterating Bolt revealed and we were mostly flagging these in the discord looking at visual bricks like what what could you buy for some very very cheap price 100 copies from gaming company on opening weekend and then get double or triple that on a buy list you know three six twelve months later and these were all cards we talked about obliterating bolt is a sorcery for one and a red deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker if that creature or planeswalker would die this turn exile it instead very solid little card for standard and pioneer yeah, and there was that card previously that did similar, didn't target, I think it was Planeswalkers, that sees a lot of play. Um, and so this is just a strict upgrade to that as far as I know. Uh, and so it should see a lot of play going forward, I would think. Especially sideboards. There is a rare mechanized warfare enchantment for 1-2 red. If a red. If a red or artifact source you control would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it would deal that much damage plus 1 instead. So you can make good use of that in Gearson uh, alongside a variety of little <laughs> interlocking combo pieces. Um, they also showed us... Let me see some of these other un- uncommons that jumped out at me. There was There's... the red, red, blue, uncommon, basically um, pyromancer, young pyromancer, but for any non-creature spell. That's um, the any... third path iconoclast. Yeah, that card is very good. Um, play it with Mishra's Bobble, uh, get your your free. And the, the tokens that come out are artifacts, which really, I mean, if you're playing that with Urza or something like that, it can make a big difference. Yeah, I would imagine that's going to see all sorts of play. It's a cube card. It's an EDH card. It might be a standard or pioneer card. Maybe there's a modern deck that could make use of it. I would have to see it to believe it. They also gave us another uh, cool uncommon, Calamity's Wake. One in a white instant. Exile all graveyards, and players can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Exile Calamity's Wake. Imagine hitting a living end player in their draw step. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't. Uh, you you don't have a graveyard, and you can't do shit this turn. My turn. <laughs> yeah, I I'll be curious to see if that sees play. I uh, people were posting about that on Twitter. I tend to think it's overrated. But you don't think but, it even in sta- in standard or pie? I mean, obviously there has to be a graveyard, some graveyard shenanigans going on to be generally caring about that. But right. from like a control player's perspective, I mean that might just be might just be a one or a two of in the board to have on hand, or even maybe main deck a copy. I mean, just being able to shut them down from casting non-creature spells for a turn could be interesting. Yeah, I mean. I think it's fine. I think it depends on what you're playing against. But you're going down a card. You're wasting two mana. So essentially in the early game or mid game, almost a full turn to exile their graveyard and then shut them off of their turn probably, but maybe not quite. It it seems like they have to be doing something pretty degenerate for you to want to run this in Pioneer. And in Modern, it feels like you can get a lot of the same exile the graveyard effects, but with the card draw associated with it um so you're not going down a card and so i don't know it's a, it's it's been hard for white stacks pieces to get there as specs um yeah. you know rest in peace certainly made money for people a few times before it finally cratered forever um but as to me this is just a brick like this could just if it ends up being needed in multiple places this could be an uncommon that sells for eight cents and then buy lists for 20 later Yes, and there's the. I mean, I think like an equivalency. It's not the same type of card, but the the one that basically it's a one mana enchantment. Players can only cast um, one non creature spell per turn. That's I think what you want to get to, where it's like pretty ubiquitous as a sideboard card. It's done very well. It, it, you know, it's I think went up to pretty decent amount. Um, you know, for a non common, and that's the type of trajectory you want. If this was one mana, I would I would love it. At two mana. I don't. I think there might be better things to be doing. Soul okay. Guard Lantern, for example. This other one looks like a more likely brick. Demolition Field. It's basically a fixed field of ruin for EDH. Uh, it's tap for a colorless, two sack it, destroy target non-basic land and opponent controls. That land's controller only, as opposed to each player. May search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tap, then you get to do it. On Field of Ruin, the whole table gets to do it, so nobody plays that card in EDH because you're giving your opponents three lands just to get rid of somebody's cradle. Um, but this one, you and the person with the offending land get to put a basic into play. So it's just a strict upgrade to Field of Ruin for EDH. The only thing about this card is I could see them putting in this in deck after deck after deck in, in subsequent years. So the question is how long of a gap will you get to turn this into a buy list play? Yep, I think you get three months. They also showed us Lay Down Arms, sorcery for one white, exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. This controller gains three life. Because uh, it's sorcery, it doesn't have me super excited, but I, it could end up being a four of uh, must play card in standard at that price, at that casting cost. Yeah, I mean, it eliminates the creature altogether. We've seen Oust do a similar thing. Oust is. Um, same mana cost. It also makes its controller gain life, uh, but instead of exiling it, it's putting it, I think, under top card. Yeah, on top of the deck in some capacity. And that's seen some play sporadically. I think this is very similar. Um, you know, this exiles, which has some advantages, I'm sure, but putting it into the deck doesn't go to graveyard. So I think they're pretty comparable. 
And Oust used to see more play before other uh, otherworldly journey or otherworldly light and those type of removal cards came into the format. So maybe you'll see a smattering here or there, especially in sideboards, especially if you don't want your opponent to be low on life, like um, Death Shadow. This is something that you know you could help them gain life, which hurts them in the long run, but probably smattering to play here and there. There's also a they revealed uh diabolic intent being printed into standard pioneer modern uh when it had not been there before this is the two mana tutor that requires you to sack a creature to cast it then you get to search your library for any card and put that card in your hand so it's demonic tutor if you don't mind sacking a creature there's been some talk about this in abzan Greasefang, but i've you know daniel fournier that sometimes comes on the show has been playing a lot of pioneer and just i think just qualified uh for vancouver twice in in regional tournaments and he was saying he doesn't think it's going to make it there and doesn't know where it will find a home in pioneer um that being said i did flag that there are the masterpiece invocation versions that are quite handsome you know the the black invocations are easily the best looking ones and they were already relatively hard to come by and you could get copies under 110 in the eu under 100 in the u.s just as the announcement broke and now the cheapest copy is 127 or so on tcg player with 12 listings left so this is all going to be about whether it gets somewhere or doesn't do you have an opinion i think that tutors in constructed if you're not winning the game they're not tend to be not that great here with absvan greasefang i do think it wins you the game um that said you have to be able to have it line up uh appropriately and i was looking through some of the grease fang builds that are going on right now and some of them don't even use the um eldritch evolution the eldritch evolution package and uh the one mana creature that puts things in the graveyard remind me stitcher supplier stitcher supplier and that's i think that's where you'd want to be if you're if you're playing this build you play stitcher supplier and on turn one you're putting some things in the yard on two you're uh, casting this, sacking your Stitcher's Fire, putting another three cards in your graveyard, tutoring up your Grease Fang, and then playing it on turn three and swinging in for the win, and then probably making because it hopefully less... you fan Par Helion and you put yeah, it in the yard. Yep, put it into the yard, or even I mean, even if on turn three you're putting in a Azekas Chariot or a, a Sky Sovereign Council Flagship, either of those. I mean, so between those three cards, you have nine targets, and so. Is very likely in six cards you're going to get one of those nine in the yard, and you're hoping for Parhelion, but if it's not, and it's one of those others, I mean, playing a, uh, getting two, 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 two tokens off of Zika's Chariot plus being able to play Zika's Chariot again the next turn because it bounces to your hand is not too shabby. Um, that's that. Maybe it's too cute, right? As you're saying, I mean, it's one of those things where tutors they always look good, but you're essentially spending two mana, oftentimes to search up a card that is good but not amazing especially in pioneer not like modern or legacy um here i think it may be a little bit different but i'm not super confident i think you'll see a lot of play in week one or two where people are testing they're doing well and then you know over time as people build resiliency to their their approach they're playing things like uh, whatever march of other willardly light or other not march you know the things that uh either craft diggers cage or you know things like that so you're preventing people from taking advantage of that synergy and the strategy 
then I think they might move away to something more resilient themselves, which is what we've seen happen already, where these Grease Fang decks were all in, and now, you know, maybe they're scaling back a little bit, and they're trying to make it more resilient overall. All right, so here's a here's a mythic I think might be on the table as the casual focused mythic that will be underestimated and will be, be cheap for a while and then will surprise people by how much it's worth down the road. One with the multiverse, six double blue enchantment. You can look at the top card of your library anytime. You can play lands and cast spells from the top of your library anytime. Once during each of your turns, you can cast a spell from your hand or the top of your library without paying its mana cost. So it's like the blue oracle of Maldaya for twice as much, but it does it does twice as much. Hmm. I saw it. And I said this is too expensive and looked away. So, so you're um, thinking this is bulk forever? I mean, I think what you need is something that Sneak and shows into play, and I don't know if we have that. Oh, there's there's tons of in enchantments matters decks. There's tons of ways to get this into play for free, like starting with things like. Uh, academy rector okay yeah i mean i i guess i've never played the the decks enough to know because i mean it has to be casual right i'm assuming that's what you're thinking i think it's a casual edh card that's going to get super cheap because japan and europe will undervalue it right i'm reading i'm just rereading it right now let's see yeah i think it's going to stay bulk forever i'm going to go ahead and say that okay but uh, I, we'll, I'd love to be proven wrong. Eight mana mythics, especially if with one color, it just seems it seems a little tough. All right. Uh, they showed off the borderless version of Teferi uh, Temporal Pilgrim with uh, sketch art behind it. That's a really nice looking card. This is a I don't know if we talked about Teferi last week or not, but this is worth it just a quick go over. This is a four mana, sorry, a five mana planeswalker, three and two blue for four loyalty. Whenever you draw a card, put a loyalty counter on Teferi. He has a zero ability draw card, so he's actually a five loyalty planeswalker effectively on turn one if you want him to be. For minus two, you get a two two blue spirit creature token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on that creature. So kind of the Teferi version of Karnstrux. And then minus 12 is target opponent chooses a permanent they control and returns it to their hand. Then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into their owner's library. So you can absolutely wreck one person at the table. Hmm. Yep. And you can probably get there pretty quick. I mean, it's minus 12, but realistically, you know, if you're if you're playing even a wheel, one wheel effect, you're basically getting there right away. Yeah, and this is even cute with things like Teferi Master of Time, which in EDH you're ticking up and drawing a card and discarding a card on everybody's turn. And then yep. somebody tries to attack it and you phase it out and keep rolling. I've, I have won multiple games with Teferi Master of Time and Temporal Pilgrim plays pretty well with. So yeah, any deck that is going to draw a lot of cards, for and there are a bunch of ways that that happens frequently in EDH, you can have a Rhystic Study in play and then play a Teferi the turn after or the turn after that, and you're going to be putting a lot of pressure on the table, building up resources. How about this with Sylvan Library? Because that's drawing extra yeah. cards. That's that's pretty. Yeah. yeah. No, I like this card a lot. I mean, I think it's a good design. I think it's very similar in some ways to Hero Dominaria um, in terms of that it's... If you let it get out of control, it will uh, ruin your day. But it doesn't have the tuck effect um that you know makes it more competitive staple that you know can deal with anything 
but that negative two, being able to put a spirit into play uh, that is pumping every time you're drawing a card is synergic, synergistic with Teferi. So I think when you're playing this competitively, you're putting it in and you're just always negative. Um, you're just dropping a spirit into play every turn. You keep drawing. You have your card uh, deck built, especially maybe like Pioneer, where you're doing treasure cruise type of things. You're drawing three, four cards a turn. Uh, maybe this in as a top end of like Arclight Phoenix or something like that, where you're just drawing an incredible number of cards. Uh, and so both is it drawing you a card a turn potentially if you need it, but also making incredible threats over time. They also showed off the borderless sketch version of Urza, Prince of Crew, two white, blue, two, three. Human Artificer, Artifact Creatures Control get plus two, plus two. That's a big boost. And then six, create a token that's a copy of target artifact you control, except it's a one-one soldier creature in addition to the other types. I would imagine people are going to build this deck. Um, artifact Creatures getting plus two, plus two is a lot. Paying six to copy anything and, and the ensuing shenanigans is probably going to be pretty fun. Art on the card is really good. Cool. Uh, they showed us Hajar, Loyal Bodyguard, red and a green for a 3-3 human soldier, legendary creature. Sacrifice Hajar, legendary creatures you control, get plus one, plus zero, and gain indestructible until end of turn. So that's like a creature-based heroic intervention that protects your creatures and your commander. I could see that seeing quite a lot of play, being very broadly applicable in red-green decks for EDH. Remember when a 3-3 for two on its own was good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, now you have this. They also showed off the the contents or the, the you know the formula formulation for the Brothers War Collector boosters. I know a lot of our uh, our Discord uh, members have cases of that on order, so everybody's kind of curious, you know, what our drop rate's going to look like because Wizards tends to mix it up, set the set. Our quick take on this, and I know Cliff is working up an article to get into the nitty gritty, but a ton of the very low drop rate items all drop in the same slot. Uh, slot number one is the traditional foil or double rainbow alt border rare or mythic. So that's going to include double rainbow serialized schematics, the one in 500s, traditional foil retros and schematic borderless or extended art cards. And the slot below that is all transformers. And then there's a traditional foil schematic or retro artifact uncommon slot. And then there are non-foil schematic and retro artifact slots that can be any rarity and the rest of it is pretty much jank. So that means, you know, drop rates are going to be very low indeed for the very rarest cards in this set. Hmm. And there's a lot. I mean, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot set. of options. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of options. Uh, anything so, else jump out at you as like early yeah. flags for hyper competitive cards? So, I mean, not competitive, but um, Awaken the Woods 2GX. Uh, create x uh one one green forest dryad land oh, yeah, creature yeah. tokens i mean this is it's ramp it's tokens for you know making bodies if you need them it seems like it is a pretty incredible card and it's a mythic which i love to see um so i hope this gets really cheap if it does i plan to buy a lot of them because <laughs> I, I do think it'll see a, a fairly significant amount of play um you know some of the uh, let me pull them up here. Some of the artifacts that have um, either unique abilities or the new prototype uh, jumped out at me. So Arcane Proxy, it's seven colorless, but has prototypes. So you can play two blue and one colorless and put it into play as a 2-1. And as a, under its prototype, 
uh, it matches the same abilities as the bigger cards. The bigger card says, whenever it enters the battlefield, uh, if you cast it, you may exile target instant or sorcery with mana value less than or equal to its power uh, from your graveyard. Copy that spell, play a copy without paying its mana cost. So uh, if you play it for seven, you can copy something that's seven mana in your graveyard. If you play it for the three prototype, you can cast something that is two uh, mana value or less. And that includes free spells. And so this is one that I think could emulate Snapcaster in its heyday in Pioneer, potentially. Um, so we've seen Trahentral Gear Hulk do fairly well in Pioneer at times. It's kind of fallen out of the meta now. Uh, but that is always six mana. Here you're getting something that you can play for three, get something to flashback um, at, you know, in the early game and in the late game. If you draw this late, you can flashback basically anything, including a dig through time. So that's one I w I'm going to be watching. I think it might uh, be able to see competitive play, particularly in Standard and Pioneer. No, you couldn't. You you can't get a dig through time because it's limited by the power of this creature. Uh oh yeah, you're yeah, thinking wrong. So it couldn't do dig through time, that's true, but you could do But memory deluge. Mem for instance. Memory deluge, um, which that you probably flashback on its own. Uh but kill spells, uh breath, you could do a four mana wrath, which obviously would kill this creature, but um, you know, if you're in a pinch, not a bad idea. Uh and yeah, I think this could either see play as a value card in you know decks that just want uh, want that flexibility or as a control finisher where you're you know just kind of holding it back you're controlling the board you're playing your planeswalkers and this is one of you know one or two copies as a creature spell in your deck um, it is a mythic which means they thought it would probably be powerful and anything with versatility uh, is not too bad so similarly uh, as connected a similar card is phyrexian flesh gorger which is seven mana for a 5-7 Menace Lifelink, and then it has Ward, where you pay life equal to its power for Ward, so it can't be targeted. And then the prototype cost is only 3, 2 black, and a colorless for a 3-3 three, three body, with that same ability of Menace Lifelink Ward. Uh, this has been talked about a lot. I think, again, flexibility is important here. It's a decent reanimation target. Uh, it's decent body on its own, even for the three. So I can see this uh, seeing play, uh, especially in sideboards, things like that going forward. There's another big mythic worth flagging. Portal to Phyrexia, nine mana. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacks three creatures. At the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. Uh, this is going to see... I think this is going to be worth money down the road. All of the red-based artifact strategies and some of the blue ones have a pretty decent sh shot, and even the white ones for that matter, because they have things like Refurbish, can pretty easily get a card in the yard and then... An artifact in, in particular, and then return it to play with goblin uh, welder type effects. And this thing doesn't have any limitations on must be cast or anything. So, yeah, it's pretty nasty in artifact recursion decks. Yep, I I agree, and also um, I could see it seeing play in um, the the most recent commander deck, mono black, where. The, you have the card that you know gets value from anything in the yard that's an artifact. So you're just making it have those abilities, things like that. Um, I'm sure there's a many tricky ways to use this um, in addition to kind of the sneaking it in. 
they showed us Stasis Coffin, legendary yep. artifact, rare three mana, two tap, exile it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. So it's it's a five mana fog in EDH. Because it's is it just you, right? So it's not your creatures. Yeah, yeah if it was like Teferi's Protection, this would yeah. be an automatic S tier staple. Given that it's just you, it does prevent you from being damaged in in an alpha swing where they've gone all out and if they don't kill you there are serious consequences it'll see some play i'm not convinced it's a super staple yet i'm gonna need to see the use cases develop to feel better about it the the other rare that i think is gonna see a lot more play than that uh is lauren of the third path two and a white for a two one vigilance human artificer when lauren of the third path Path enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment, and then tap you and target opponent each draw a card. That is a very good Rex Age. Yep, it is. It has Vigilance, which is interesting, so you can maybe get a little swing in and then tap to draw a card. Which C- comes like in play, clever. kills somebody's Rhystic Study, the next turn you get in for two, and then at will, you and an opponent can draw a card if you're you know, leveraging politics you can anytime I have effects like that, I'm not scared of those symmetrical effects in EDH at all. Because every single time I cast, uh, what's the black tutor that lets me and the an opponent go get a card? Uh, yeah. Scheming yeah. symmetry. Scheming symmetry. Uh, yeah. It's the best tutor in the game because you just pre-negotiate what they're going to get and what they're going to do with it. You say, hey, uh, Oko, I I will let you get this card, but I want you to go get a point removal spell to deal with that person's commander. And what are you going to say? No. Why? Like why say no? <laughs> It's, right. it's almost always in your in, to your benefit to agree and if you do say no i'll just go to the next person and, and do the same deal until i get it done and somebody's going to need something uh, in response and you're going to get it done so yeah lauren looks very very good to me and i suspect that bricks of that will do well over time i was surprised to see fauna shaman get reprinted i had yeah. kind of missed that and that is a 10 12 dollar card that is very good um, which maybe will bounce back. You know, it's in a lot of decks. And it's, just, it's obviously searching up a creature, a uh, good thing to do in EDH. Yep. Uh, Root Path Purifier was spoiled. It's a set booster specific card. Uh, three and a green for an elf druid, three, four. Lands you control and land cards in your library are basic. So it's Blood Moon Protection, but it also lets you go get any land with Farseek. Uh, and similar effects. So they're in lands matters decks. I could easily see this helping them go off and do silly things. Yeah, I think a lot of people posted about doing, um, putting a twenty twenty with the lands, just cloning in your uh, dark depths. Go use use something like a sylvan or like a rapid growth or whatever, and far scramble. Yeah, yeah. Just grab two lands, throw it in. You you know you grab a Vesuva and the. And the Dark Depths triggers right away. Bing, bang, boom. You got your 2020. I like it. It's probably too cute, but it's fun. Liberator Liberator Urza's Battle Thopter. Three for a 1-2 Flash Flying Thopter. You can cast colorless spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. I think that's the key here. It's basically a faster three mana versus four mana to get access to that cast things at instant speed effect. And then it just has the upside of being a potential aggressive flying threat. So I was trying to think about that. What is the artifact spells that you want to be casting at Flash? 
it's just it's just whatever you know like yeah. it's stuff that has a solemn simulacrum to block somebody's aggro attack right. and you get a, a land on the entry and then it dies and you've tricked them into giving you card advantage meteorite golem kills something as it comes into play and there's just all sorts of things right like there's just bolus is citadel at the end of the person's turn before yours right right so that they don't yeah. have a chance to nobody has a chance to react to it before you do stuff yeah there's, there's um, a ver- play, playing cards at instant speed has been worth it in in commander sure. in general there are two prominent forecast and cost cards that have been played one blue enchantment and one artifact that people have played for years and it depends right. they're just it's, less narrow that was my my concern yeah. Yes, yes, yes. They are they are less narrow, but in in decks like Bray, almost everything's an artifact anyway. So, right. Uh, um, so the one the the stone brain we were talking about this a bit in our Discord. Two uh, mana value for a legendary artifact. You can pay two, tap it, exile it, and choose a card name. Search target opponents, graveyard, hand, and library for up to four cards with that name, and exile them. Uh, that does include lands, which is important in some circumstances. And then your opponent draws if you're exiling any of those cards from their hand. And so this is, and you can only do it as a sorcery. Uh, so this is a good anti-combo tech, you know, right? So if you're playing against um, four-color creativity and you just snag all their archons of cruelty, it doesn't matter if they hit their combo because there's nothing to go and get and so uh similarly like tron back in the day or urza's tron if you're pulling out their uh, one of their tron pieces then they can't go off or you can obviously pull out their win con so there's a lot of different ways to do this uh, we've had this effect in black in particular in the past in many different iterations this is the first one that i can think of that is uh colorless so i can go into any deck and because it's an artifact it can be pulled out of a tron wishboard which is important, uh, just gives you, again, flexibility. Uh, so I think this is one that will see some modest play. One thing I, I noticed it was that it was legendary, which turned me off a little bit until I realized, like, why would you ever want two of these on a battlefield? So I don't think that's actually a downside. Um, so I think this will see some play, particularly Pioneer, maybe Modern, uh, particularly in sideboards. All right, so we should have our full set review coming up either next week or the week after. In the meantime, where can people find you online? Well, I am Derek the Dark Mage, and you can find me online at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and occasionally I write articles for mtgprice.com. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I'll tell you, pro traders made each other a bunch of money today helping folks navigate through that ScaleFast site in an efficient way, ensuring that people didn't lock themselves out of their orders and so forth, and then flagging that Europe and UK were open for business. Thousands and thousands of dollars were manufactured through the helpful interactions that take place in our discord all the time it's true just today i dropped off at the post office a set of commander um the 40k commander decks premium version that i was able to get on a group buy for i think it was 470 something around that and even though prices have come down a little bit i was able to flip them for 770 so nice nice clean exit there one of many that i was able to get and have been flipping for a steady profit so always good opportunities within 
MTG Price Discord. Uh, but let me remind you again, once again, that the, the MTG Fast Finance podcast is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, cool nerdy st- stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. Well, James, that brings us to the end of this episode of MTG Fast Finance. As always, enjoyed the discussion. Thank you very much, Derek, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.